Have you ever heard the expression, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy? That expression, uh, you know, it is used to show how often we can be in a different place physically, and yet still that place can be in our hearts. Well, this morning, uh, as we're in lockdown, we are going to go back to our study of the book of Exodus. Earlier in the year, we studied the book of Exodus and uh, we got right up to Exodus chapter 12 and God's people were just about to leave Egypt. And just to recap the story thus far, let's just go back over the last 12 chapters. In Exodus chapter 1, we read about how God's people were in Egypt, having moved there because of a famine. There was a famine in the land of Canaan, and so Joseph and his brothers traveled down to Egypt. And then after some time, a new king arose who did not know Joseph, and he oppressed God's people, putting them into slavery and killing their firstborn sons. And so as you finish Exodus chapter 1, the situation is dire. God's people are enslaved and there has been mass genocide. But in Exodus chapter 2 to Exodus chapter 4, we read of how God had heard the cries of his people and he had a plan. And he called Moses, who had grown up in Pharaoh's own household. He called him to go to Pharaoh and to tell him to let God's people go. But then in Exodus chapter 5 and chapter 6, we read of how when Moses went, at first, Pharaoh would not listen. And he actually made God's people's, God's, um, the people's life harder by making them, uh, you know, make bricks without straw. And they had to collect their own straw for themselves. But then God said to Moses to go back to Pharaoh. And in Exodus chapter 7 to Exodus chapter 11, we read of how God poured out these 10 plagues on Egypt through Moses in order to soften Pharaoh's heart, in order to get him to let God's people go. But instead of softening his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart to the voice of the Lord. And then, then in the end, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so the final plague was threatened, which was the death of all the firstborn sons in Egypt. But in Exodus chapter 12, we read of how God then provided a way of escape through a Passover lamb. He asked all of the uh, uh, Israelites to kill a spotless lamb and to paint the blood of that lamb over the lentil place of their homes so that when the angel of death came, he would see the blood and he would pass over it. And so we come now to Exodus chapter 12 and verse 28 and we read this. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all of his servants and all of the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have, and be gone, and bless me also. So Pharaoh finally got to that place where he let God's people go. 
And in the next few paragraphs, we read about how God gave the Israelites favor in the eyes of the Egyptians and they gave them silver and gold. So they plundered the Egyptians. And then we read this in Exodus chapter 12, verse 40. We read the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Now, this is important because God had said to Abraham, he had promised Abraham in a vision, in a dream, that his people, his descendants would be in the land of Egypt for 430 years. And they were in that land to the exact day on that very day, God led them out. You see, God always keeps his promises and his timing is always perfect. But you see, from their time of their deliverance in Exodus chapter 12, to Exodus chapter 19, to the time that they arrived at Mount Sinai, where God's presence came down on the mountain and where they received the law, there are these seven chapters. These seven chapters that Israel, where Israel had to journey through the wilderness. And you wonder, why is that? Why did God have to take the nation of Israel through the wilderness? Well, the reason is because of this. You see, when Israel left Egypt, while Israel had left Egypt and slavery physically, they were still enslaved in their hearts. Remember I said before that you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. While Israel had left Egypt physically, they had moved out of Egypt, the land of bondage, but they were still enslaved in their hearts. And so God had to take them through the wilderness so that they would learn to depend upon him. They had to go into the wilderness university where God had to give them a degree in how to depend upon him and how to walk by faith in their God. You know, we can often be the same. We've been delivered by God and placed in Christ. And so we are free from sin's bondage. And yet so often we can still live an enslaved life. You know, we can be enslaved to fear. All types of fears can rule over our hearts or we can be enslaved to lust. We can still be in that bondage where we give into temptation and lust all the time. Or we can be enslaved to envy where we look at others and we are envious of what they have and what God has given them. Or we can be enslaved to greed where we are just always wanting something in order to be satisfied, in order to be happy. And we're just not content with the things God has given us. And so God often has to take us through the wilderness university so that we too will earn a degree in dependence on God. And so as we journey through these chapters of the book of Exodus, as we look at how we have to leave Egypt behind so that we can become the people who God wants us to be, we are hopefully going to learn lessons each week in depending upon God, in learning how to live as free sons and daughters of the living God. So let's look at our first lesson this morning. This lesson comes at the end of Exodus chapter 12 and Exodus chapter 13. And the first lesson is this. And I'm going to give you the lesson up front each and every week. 
And so I want you to write this down or just, you know, record this. But here is the first lesson. Here's the first lesson to leave Egypt. To leave Egypt behind, we must continually remember how God has already delivered us and learn to follow his leading even when it doesn't make sense. Let me say that again. To leave Egypt behind, we must continually remember how God has already delivered us and learn to follow his leading even when it makes no sense. You know, God has miraculously delivered us. But just like Israel, (laughs) we can often forget that miraculous deliverance. You know, for the nation of Israel, it was only three days into their journey where they already had forgotten how God was leading them and what God had done for them. Three days into their journey, they had no water and they were thirsty and they'd already forgotten who their God was. And we are much like that. We also forget how God has miraculously delivered us. But what God did in order to help them remember is he instituted rituals and feasts that they were to observe to help remind them of God's miraculous deliverance. At the end of chapter 12, we see in verses 48 to 50 that he gives Moses and Aaron instructions about the Passover. And basically he says, with this Passover celebration that you are to keep annually, it's not to be done by the foreigner, those who don't belong to the nation of Israel. And it's not going, and, and sojourners, they can actually keep the Passover as long as their children are circumcised, as long as they and their children are circumcised. And that's because the Passover was a, 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 a meal that was meant to be shared only by the covenant community of God's people. And you see, the Passover meal celebrated the fact that when the angel of death saw the blood of the lamb, he passed over the judgment that he was bringing on the firstborn sons. So when the angel of death came to that house and he saw the blood of the lamb over the lentils of that house, he passed over. He passed over the judgment that he was going to bring. And the Passover meal was a celebration of that of that event. You know, this event, the Passover, looks forward or is a type of Christ. You know, it says in the New Testament, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 that Jesus is our Passover lamb. And John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, for every single one of us, we have come under the just wrath of God. We deserve his judgment. We deserve to come under the judgment of God, but Jesus on the cross died as our Passover lamb. And because God sees the blood of Jesus, his wrath, his just wrath towards our sin is satisfied. And we are forgiven. We are forgiven of our sins because God sees the work of Jesus on our behalf. You know, when it comes to the work of Jesus, many people think that Jesus just died for us. Um, because he loved us. And he did. He died for us because he loved us. But Jesus also died for God. Now, that might seem strange to say that, that Jesus died for God. But it was God who on the cross saw the blood of Jesus. And when God saw the blood of Jesus, his just wrath was satisfied. And we call this the doctrine of propitiation. That on the cross, Jesus propitiated God's wrath by being the atoning sacrifice for our sin. 
But not only do we see the um, Passover, but also we see the Feast of Unleavened Bread mentioned. And there is a relationship between Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You see, the Passover was celebrated and then the nation of Israel came into this Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. And we read this in Exodus 13, verses 3 to 10. We read this. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib, Abib was the first month in the Jewish calendar, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days, so no leavened bread shall be seen with you in your territory. Now you might ask, why were they to eat this unleavened bread, bread without yeast? Well, leaven in the Bible is a symbol of sin. And this was symbolizing that the Israelites were to be a holy people. They were to eat this feast of unleavened bread in, as a symbol of their holiness before God. You know, in 1 Corinthians 5 verses 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You see, whereas the Passover symbolizes propitiation or typifies propitiation, the doctrine of propitiation, the Feast of Unleavened Bread points to our sanctification. That because the wrath of God has been satisfied for us through the atoning work of Jesus, we now as believers need to live a sanctified life. We need to pursue holiness, putting sin to death in our members. But not only was there the Passover and not only was there the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but also Israel were commanded to consecrate all of the firstborn to the Lord. We read this in Exodus 13, verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of men and of beast, is mine. So because of the redemption of the Lord, the Lord demanded that all of the firstborn of the men and of the beasts of the livestock be given to him. Now, the livestock would be offered to him often in sacrifice. The firstborn would often be offered in sacrifice. And many of the firstborn sons would be given to the Lord, especially the Levites, in service in the temple. But when you didn't want to offer your, your animals or your firstborn son to serve God in the temple, what would you do? Well, later in the chapter, we read this. In verse 13, we read this of Exodus 13. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Now, a donkey was a very valuable animal to the ancient Israelites. They lived in an agrarian culture, and this animal helped them in their farming of the land. And so they would want to redeem this animal with a lamb. They could sacrifice a lamb in place of their donkey, it would buy back their donkey, it would redeem their donkey. 
but they also could do the same thing with their sons. We read in verse 13 this as well. Every firstborn son of man among your sons, you shall redeem. And so what we see here is the Passover points to the propitiation, the work of Christ in satisfying the wrath of God. Unleavened bread, that that um, feast of unleavened bread, it points to our sanctification. And the consecration of the firstborn, it points to our redemption. That in Christ we were redeemed, we were brought back by the blood of Christ to God. Now you might ask, why did God set this up? Well, he tells us in verses 14 to 16. He says, when in time to come, your sons ask you, what does this mean? What shall you say to him? Well, you will say this, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be a mark on your hand or your frontlets between your eyes. For by my strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So God set up the annual Passover celebration and the annual feast of unleavened bread to remind his people powerfully how he delivered them. Every time they would celebrate Passover, every time they would celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they would be reminded of how God miraculously delivered them out of Egypt. But not only that, but also every time the firstborn son was born, they would be redeemed in the temple. And this would also remind them of God's powerful redemption out of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, You know, for us as Christians, we need to remember the powerful, redeeming work of Jesus, our Savior. And you see, this is important because there is this direct connection between living for God in the present and remembering what God has done in the past. You know, often we live enslaved lives because we have forgotten what God has done. Often we forget his power, we forget his strength, we forget his greatness. And because we forget his greatness and power and strength in the past, we're powerless in the present. You know, in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter lists off all these attributes that should be ours in our lives, that we should be cultivating. And then he says in verse 9, he says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You know, we can so easily forget what God has done. And when we forget what God has done, then we no longer have the power to live for God in the present. So this is the first part of our lesson today. To leave Egypt behind, we must continually remember how God has delivered us. You know, God said to the Israelites, you must put this as a sign on your hand and between the frontlets of your eyes. Now, obviously, that's he's not speaking there literally that that this was to be a mark on their hands and a mark on their forehead. But rather, he was saying figuratively, as they remembered what he had done, it would inform the work of their hands and it would help their vision as they passed through life. 
And you know, as Christians, we need to continually be remembering what Christ has done for us, continually looking back to the cross, looking to Christ, who is our Passover lamb. But also, the rest of the chapter goes on to not only teach us that if we want to leave Egypt behind, we must continually remember how God has delivered us, but it also teaches us that to leave Egypt behind, we must learn how to follow God's leading, even when it doesn't make sense. You know, in Exodus 18, verse 17, we read this. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Now, we all know from geometry that the easiest or way from point A to point B is a straight line. Have a look at my diagram. The quickest way from point A to point B is a straight line. And when it came to the nation of Israel, if you just look on this map that I have for you right here, the quickest way for them to get to Mount Sinai, where God said, where God had told them to go so that they would worship him, the quickest way was just for them to go straight down and, and then go stra uh, straight down in a straight down sort of way. That would have been the quickest path for them to go. But as you observe on the map, God didn't take them that way. He took them through the wilderness of Egypt and then right up to the Red Sea. And we know that he then powerfully parted the Red Sea before them so that they walked through on dry ground. But, you know, you wonder why. Why did God do this? You know, in our lives, we often are at point A. And we sense that God wants to take us to point B. That is Christ-likeness and effective ministry in his kingdom. But instead of leading us from point A to point B, we often go through trials. We often encounter hardships. We often encounter setbacks. And we too wonder why. Why doesn't God lead us just in this straight line path from point A to point B? You know, in my life, when I was younger, I felt a sense of call into ministry. And uh, instead of God taking me straight to Bible college, and going off and planting a church, I had to spend five years on the Gold Coast. You know, that just seemed like, you know, it just seemed like a zigzag path. It didn't seem like the straightest path where God was leading me to where he wanted me to be. And so we under, we, we, we ask that question, why God? Why does God take us? Why do you take us on a zigzag path? Well, God actually tells us what he was doing. And we read this in verses 17 and 18. When Pharaoh let God's people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led them by way around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. You see, God takes us on a zigzag path because he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows where he is taking us and he knows how we should get there. You see, if God were to take Israel straight through the land of the Philistines, they were not prepared for war. They'd spent 400 years as slaves. They were nowhere near prepared for war. And God knew that. God knew that if they went the way of the Philistines, 
they were likely to retreat and go back the other way. So he took them on this zigzag path through the wilderness to teach them these lessons because he knew what was best for them. You know, how can we be encouraged when we follow God's zigzag path? Well, it's interesting what we go on to read next in verse 19. We read this. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. You know, at the end of the book of Genesis, we read of how um, Joseph had said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but I know that God will visit you and bring you up out of this land that he swore to our fathers, Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. And then he made um, the sons of Israel give him a promise that they would that they would when God visits them, that they would carry his bones with them. And so the thing was, is every day as they started to march, no matter where the zigs and the zags led them, the coffin of Joseph with those bones in it was a continual reminder that God was taking them to point B. That coffin was going to Canaan. You see, Joseph, he had the faith to believe in the promises of God. And that's why he said, please carry my bones with you as you go on the day that God delivers you. I know he will do it because he promised to on the day that he delivers you, carry my bones. You know, we can be encouraged on God's zigzag path by the faith of others in God's promises. When we read or we see the faith of other people and how they might be on God's zigzag path, things haven't worked out. But when we see how they are trusting in God and believing in God, when we see their faith, it can be an encouragement for us to trust in God's promises. But not only that, look in verse 20 of Exodus 13. We read this. And as they moved on from Succoth, and it camped at Ethan on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. You see, even though they didn't know exactly where they were going and exactly what the next step was. God was leading them. He was leading them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And you see, on our zigzag path, we can be encouraged by the presence of God protecting us and guiding us. You know, for us as Christians, we obviously don't have a, a cloud that's leading us or a pillar of fire that's leading us by night. But we have something way better. We have the Holy Spirit, God's very own presence living within us. You know, it's interesting in Isaiah 63 in verse 11, Isaiah comments on this. He says, then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them out uh, up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? See, God's presence leading them and guiding them was actually the Holy Spirit. God was the one who, God the Holy Spirit was the one in the cloud and in the pillar of fire. God the Holy Spirit was the one who was leading them and guiding them. And as Christians, we actually have the Holy Spirit within us, leading us and guiding us. 
So the encouragement that we can have in the zigzag paths of life is that God's very own presence, his Holy Spirit is leading us, protecting us, guiding us. So to leave Egypt behind, we've seen today in our first lesson, we must continually remember how God has already delivered us and we must learn to follow his leading even when it makes no sense, even when we're on a zigzag path, even when there are trials and difficulties and things don't go our way, we must follow his leading. So let me give you some applications this morning to finish my message. Application number one, spend some time today remembering what Christ did for you on the cross. Remember, there is this direct connection between how you live in the present and remembering what Christ has done in the past for you. So spend some time today remembering how on the cross Jesus is our Passover lamb, how Jesus is the one who redeemed us and brought us back to God. But also secondly, ask yourself today, is there some leaven that I need to put out of my life? Is there some leaven that I need to put out of my life. Remember, leaven is sin. And just as leaven, a little bit of leaven will work its way through a whole loaf of bread and affect the whole loaf of bread. A little bit of sin in our lives can affect our whole lives. So ask yourself, is there some leaven today that I need to put off and put away from my life through the work of Jesus? And then finally, if you're on a zigzag journey, Remember God's promises and remember his presence is with you. You don't need to know the exact pathway that you're traveling. You just need to know the one who goes with you and the one who goes with you is faithful. He will lead you. He will guide you. Well, let me pray for you this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that on our zigzag paths, your presence leads us. Your presence guides us. We thank you that you go before us. We thank you that we are not alone, but you are present with us. Lord, we pray that we would leave Egypt behind and be the people that you want us to be for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. God bless you this Sunday.